from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. Well, quite frankly, Missouri's law isn't um, a model of clarity. Are doctors being forced to wait because of these definitions? Yeah, I mean, to be clear here, you know, the doctors recognized that this was an emergency. Federal law does not require you to be on the brink of death before a situation is considered an emergency and the hospital is required to provide care. I'm Danny Wisentowski. Missouri's ban on abortion, enacted just minutes after the U.S. Supreme Court's decision overturning Roe v. Wade in June, contains an important exception, not for cases of incest or rape, which are not considered exceptions to the ban, but rather a medical emergency. But that detail, written into the so-called trigger law passed by Missouri's legislature in 2019, doesn't explain exactly what a medical emergency is, or if doctors can begin treating a patient before a medical situation becomes so dire that lives are at stake. And that's a problem for Missouri hospitals, since performing an abortion in violation of that law carries a felony and up to 15 years in prison. It was also a problem for Melissa Farmer, who, at 17 weeks pregnant, was told by doctors in Freeman Hospital in Joplin that her baby would not survive delivery and that she would have to first wait for her baby to die inside her. Her doctors recommended terminating the pregnancy, but because of Missouri's abortion ban, it couldn't happen at their hospital. In October, Melissa Farmer's story became a bombshell report in the Springfield News Leader, and from there the case has drawn a federal investigation, the first known of its kind, into whether that hospital violated federal law by refusing to perform emergency medical care. To talk about this case, why it's important in Missouri, and why it's being watched around the country, we welcome Michelle Banker, Director of Reproductive Rights and Health Litigation at the National Women's Law Center, and who represents Melissa Farmer. Michelle, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. And also here with us is Susan Such, health and public policy reporter for the Springfield News Leader. Susan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And Susan, I'd like to start with you. How did you meet Melissa Farmer, and and what did she tell you about her situation? Uh, Melissa actually emailed me shortly after um, this whole situation transpired, and um, told me her story. Uh, She had, at 17 weeks and five days, had her water broke in her pregnancy, and because of the Missouri law that had been passed, while the doctors that she had seen at Freeman Hospital said that generally the best course of action would be inducing labor, um, they said specifically in her medical records that um, Missouri law supersedes their judgment. And so she, from there, went on a harrowing journey and ended up having to travel out of state to receive care for this um, medical condition that her doctors said they couldn't treat her for. Yeah. And and Michelle, you know, what what was Melissa's options at this point? She's she's turned away from the very hospital and the doctors who know what she's going through and have given their best recommendation. But it can't happen in that hospital. Melissa was truly afraid for her life at that point, and she she left Freeman without receiving the care she needed, and 
um, actually traveled out of state to University of Kansas Hospital, um, a three-hour drive, um, and the same thing happened to her there. Um, the doctors determined that the pregnancy was not viable and recommended inducing labor, um, and then was told by the legal department at that hospital as well, just as a freeman, that um, they couldn't provide the care she needed, and she was left on her own, um, discharged and went, went home. Um, and it wasn't until um, a few days you know, after she initially had her water break that she was able to get the care she needed um, another four and a half hours away um, in Illinois. Wow. So, so she went to a second hospital and then eventually had to travel across the state to Illinois, where so many folks um, you know, from both Missouri and other states are getting that abortion care. Now, I wanted to talk about this, this piece of Missouri law, part of that ban around what a medical emergency is. And certainly that's what Melissa was encountering. Michelle, tell us a bit about why this wasn't a medical emergency under Missouri's law. Why, why couldn't she get that exception? Well, quite frankly, Missouri's law isn't um, a model of clarity, um, and um, the doctors determined that this was absolutely an emergency and that she needed to have uh, medical intervention um, b- to treat um, her because her, you know, the pregnancy wasn't viable and her life was at risk, and she had, um, you know, at that point she had a risk of infection, of sepsis, of hemorrhage, <laughs> um, of blood clots due to her medical history, and even of death. Um, but nonetheless, the legal department at both hospitals determined that, um, that, that they couldn't provide the care. Um, and quite frankly, that was actually a violation of federal law um, because federal law would have required care in this situation. Right. And that, that aspect of federal law will become important to this investigation that we're going to talk about in just a bit. Susan, I wanted to, to ask you about this as well. Um, the definition of, of medical emergency in that Missouri ban, it says that that situation would, quote, necessitate the immediate abortion of pregnancy to avert the death of a patient or for which a delay will create a serious risk of substantial and irreversible physical impairment of a major bodily function of that pregnant person, you know, Melissa, in this case. You actually were able to see some of the, the, the documents that Melissa's doctors had submitted describing their decision. What did you learn about how they interpreted this law and, and why they said, Melissa, you have to go somewhere else? They listed out the, the different um, potential complications, the, the um, issues that she might face, but said that because of Missouri law, it superseded their judgment. Um, part of that, and from what I've gleaned talking from talking to other um, healthcare lawyers, is also the idea that there's a concern that the emergency has to be imminent, that the person has to be experiencing a fever, has to be an, an active infection, has to have their blood pressure plummeting before doctors can intervene, and that was kind of the case as to what the hospital seemed to feel with. Melissa as well. From Melissa's perspective, um, in your story that you published for the Springfield News Leader, she described, you know, the options presented as basically, quote, sit and wait in the hospital for however long it took for her heartbeat to either stop or for infection to set in or for me to bleed to death. We didn't like those options. That was Melissa's description of, of what this felt like to her. Susan, what, what did she tell you about how she wrestled with this moment and, and what did it feel like for her? She was devastated. Um, I know that she had mentioned that this was a very wanted pregnancy. They already had a name for um, their little girl, Maeve. And so to be presented with these terrible options 
you know, either just sit there and wait or become sicker, she was devastated. Wow. I, I don't know what other word to use for that. And Michelle, you know, this this devastation that, that Melissa encountered and, a, you know, a, a medical emergency she had to resolve herself, is this is this common to what other women are experiencing around the country? Or did, did this case in Missouri expose something new? So this, this isn't new. Um, you know, for, for many, many years, folks have experienced similar issues where they've gone to an emergency department with a pregnancy-related emergency and been denied care because of hospital policy or a provider's refusal to provide that care. Um, now, however, we're in a world that without Roe versus Wade following Dobbs, um, states are banning abortion and there's a lot of legal chaos. But what is clear is that federal law required this care. So, you know, unlike, you know, the language of the Missouri statute, which is vague and and could be interpreted quite narrowly, federal law does not require you to be on the brink of death before a situation is considered an emergency and the hospital is required to provide care. Um, There's a federal statute called EMTALA, um, the Emergency Medical Treatment and Active Labor Act, and uh, that statute um, says that if, if someone's health is in serious jeopardy, there's a medical emergency and a emergency department must stabilize the patient. Again, you don't have to be on the brink of death for that to happen. Michelle, this point that you're making, that you don't have to wait until you're on the brink of death, is that how doctors are interpreting this law of what a medical emergency is, that it, they have to get closer to the emergency? They can no longer prevent terrible things from happening, and certainly allowing someone to get to the point of medical emergency is allowing damage to happen. It's putting that person in a much worse situation than helping them beforehand. Are doctors being forced to wait because of these definitions? Yeah, I mean, to be clear here, you know, the doctors recognized that this was an emergency. The doctors knew that um, Ms. Farmer was at risk of serious infection and her death, um, and the doctor's medical judgment was overridden. And so doctors are put in a impossible situation between um, complying with the law, you know, or risking their their licenses, their freedom if they're criminally prosecuted, um, or, you know, at the same time, not providing the care that they've taken the Hippocratic Oath to provide. We're talking today about the impact of Missouri's abortion ban and how one Missouri woman's attempt to get a needed abortion has now led to a first-of-its-kind investigation from the federal government. We're talking about Melissa Farmer and with her attorney, Michelle Banker, who is the Director of Reproductive Rights and Health Litigation at the National Women's Law Center. And we're also joined by Springfield News Leader Health Reporter Susan Such. And, And Susan, it was your piece published October 14th that really blew the doors open on this case and in all of the troubling details of it. That piece was titled, After Missouri Banned Abortions, She Was Left With a Baby Dying Inside. Doctors Said They Could Do Nothing. Susan, what was the impact of this story after it came out? I have to be honest, I I don't know if I was being naive, but I did not think it was going to be as big as it was. Um, I, I knew certainly that it would be of interest in Missouri, but it it gained national attention. Jessica Valenti, a feminist scholar, mentioned it in a podcast. Jezebel wrote about it. And then even recently, Hillary Clinton tweeted it out. It has reached more people and I think stirred up a lot more um, feelings and 
I think, a lot of anger and frustration than I had anticipated. Part of that impact, it wasn't just you know, the notion of, uh, of course, the empathy of, of, for this woman who was told that she had to wait for a, to her own baby, this desired child to die inside of her, um, but it also became part of the political landscape. And, and barely a week after this story came out on October 20th, Melissa was actually featured in a political ad for Trudy Bush Valentine. And in the ad, Melissa blamed Bush Valentine's opponent, Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt. This was in the U.S. Senate race. And she blamed Eric Schmidt for her inability to obtain the abortion that she and her doctors agreed that she needed. When my water broke at 17 and a half weeks, I found out I was going to lose my daughter. And my Missouri doctors weren't allowed to give me the care that I needed, all because of the mandate Eric Schmidt put into place. Eric Schmidt doesn't care about women like me. Imposing a mandate that doesn't have exceptions for rape, incest, or health of the mother. And it could even send women and doctors to jail. That was Melissa Farmer, as featured in an October 20th uh, political ad for Trudy Bush Valentine during the U.S. Senate race. And, and she was criticizing Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt, who, who went on to win that race. Susan, tell us about that political ad. Did Melissa explain anything of why she wanted to have her voice out there? And how did that ad change the discussion um, and the impact of, of her situation? Well, I didn't get a chance to talk with Melissa um, after she had made that ad. But when I was talking with her for the story and um, throughout the process of reporting, one thing that she had really emphasized to me was that she just wanted to get her story out there so that nobody else had to um, have to go through the same thing that she went through. What's also significant about the day that ad went out on October 20th, that was also the day that the federal government got involved. And they submitted um, this this investigation under the Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act. And that's the act that, Michelle, uh, you were just talking about a few moments ago. Tell us about what that investigation means and, and what the Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act is supposed to be doing. Well, sure. I'll start with the this, the second part. Um, so EMTALA is kind of the, the shorthand acronym. Um, and EMTALA is a federal law that requires hospitals to provide emergency care, um, and that's irrespective of state law. And that includes ab- emergency abortion care that a state might deem to be illegal. Um, and EMTALA is really critical for ensuring that all people have non-discriminatory access to life-saving emergency care. Um, and aren't turned away um, from providers in their time of need. What does this kind of investigate, what are they looking for, and and what could the consequences be? So the um, Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, is the agency that's charged with enforcing EMTALA, and they um, initiated this investigation after learning about what happened to Ms. Farmer on their own. Um, And so they will be looking into whether the decision um, by Freeman, and um, hopefully they're also looking into the University of Kansas Hospital, whether the decision by both hospitals not to treat Ms. Farmer was a violation of EMTALA, which we believe that it was, um, and we filed a complaint to that effect. And Susan, when the news of this investigation came out, there was actually some confusion over where the initial complaint came, that that a complaint is necessary for this kind of investigation to happen. But in some of those early reports, it wasn't clear whether Melissa had filed it or whether it had come from some other place. Tell us a bit about about that moment and and this confusion over where the complaint uh, arose from. So I had actually found out about the complaint. I had gotten a tip from somebody on the 26th and spent the next couple days trying to 
track it down, submitting sunshine requests, but it really, um, and like you said, we didn't know where the complaint came from. And it really kind of came into the broader public consciousness when Missouri State House Representative Crystal Quaid uh, submitted sunshine requests to the AG's office, um, the Department of Health and Senior Services, as well as the governor's office regarding these. And Susan, there, there was even some worry that this investigation itself was a retaliation a- against Melissa um, in targeting her in some way for speaking out like this. Uh, but, but that wasn't the case. Am I correct? You're correct. That didn't end up being the case. Although I know in the motion filed by the National Women's Law Center, um, they did mention that she had a concerning phone call. Hmm. Michelle, can you tell us about that phone call and and what was concerning about it? Sure. So um, just backing up a little bit. um, So our understanding is that CMS had initiated this complaint on their own. But what the normal processes are for EMTALA investigations, um, long predating kind of the current uh, post-Row world that we're in, is for CMS to refer cases to state health departments to investigate. And so that is what happened here, is, is CMS initiated this investigation and then sent it to the Department of Health and Senior Services to investigate. But uh, Melissa, Ms. Farmer, <laughs> didn't know that that's what happened. All she knew is that she had received a call from the Department of Health and Senior Services. And at first, it, it wasn't clear who was calling. It wasn't clear why they were asking her questions. It wasn't clear what the purpose of the investigation was or why they wanted to speak to her. And so she asked them to write a letter to us, to her attorneys, um, making it clear what the purpose of the investigation was. But um, that never happened. We never heard from the Department of Health and Senior Senior Services, um, which is why we then went and filed a complaint directly to CMS. Um, we thought it was really important for Ms. Farmer to have the opportunity to share her story directly with uh, the federal government, um, in part because um, you know the, the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services is partially responsible for enforcing the state's abortion ban. Um, The state has a demonstrated hostility to abortion. And of course, you know, this sort of procedure was quite concerned. You know, the whole process was quite concerning. It it was very confusing and and, understandably stressful for Ms. Farmer, given all the speculation about the purpose of the investigation. But given that they never responded um, and and reached out to to speak to us, you know, we had some concerns about... um, the state conducting this investigation. And so we wanted to ask the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services to investigate um, and assess uh, what happened um, independently. Michelle, what's the recourse here? What could happen to these hospitals and and what are you hoping to obtain uh, for your client here in this situation? Well, we are still considering all of our legal options, but from this investigation, we're hoping that the government will determine that there was an EMTALA violation, will make clear that EMTALA, that federal law, um, preempts or overrides the state law here and would have required the care, and um, makes clear that Freeman and the University of Kansas Hospital have to comply with EMTALA and set the precedent um, to make clear that so do hospitals all throughout the country, irrespective of what state law says. And that is really Melissa's, um, Ms. Farmer's primary goal here. Um, She has said repeatedly that her goal is just to prevent this from ever happening again to another pregnant person. 
This episode was produced by Danny Wisentowski with audio engineering by Alex Hoyer. Podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. Our executive producer is Alex. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.